I'm going to begin reading in verse number 7 of this 12th chapter of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I have been preaching in these days on some mysterious ministries in the Bible. This morning, using Paul's thorn in the flesh and the context in which he describes it, I'd like to share some thoughts on the ministry of thorns. The ministry of thorns. Now, usually, thorns are associated with the curse. Actually, when we think of thorns, we think of something that is against us. Something that is not to our aid or to our assistance. And of course, in Genesis 3, Verse 18, the Lord said to Adam and Eve that uh, there would be thorns upon the earth. This was after the fall, part of the curse upon the earth. Uh, later, the Lord told the children of Israel, who had failed to drive out all the inhabitants of the Canaan land, he said, if you're going to fail at this point and make leagues with the Canaanites, they will be thorns in your side. That is, they'll be a hindrance to you from now on. I was intrigued with the fact that the bush that burned with fire on the backside of the desert in the life of Moses. I found that that word bush meant a common thorn shrub. Just a thorny bush. 
Isn't it interesting that God somewhat reversed the concept there of the thorn bush being against and opposing us. And He crowned the thorn bush with His glory. It says to me that God can be glorified even through thorns. I might point out that He reversed it even again when Christ was on the cross, they had plaited a crown of thorns and placed it, that crown upon His brow. So actually now we can associate thorns not with the curse, but with blessings. Because at the cross, the Lord Jesus turned the curse around. He turned the curse into a blessing. I like to view it like this. In Moses' situation, the bush was crowned with the glory of God. In Christ's situation, the thorns crowned the glory of God. Christ, the glory of God. And so in one sense... Thorns have been exalted. And I would like to use that side of truth this morning and talk to you about the ministry of thorns. Now, in this chapter, Paul has explained his heavenly vision. Uh, he said that he had been caught up to the third heaven. That would be the abode of God. Uh, in another text here, verse 4, he talked about being caught up into paradise. That again would be the heaven of heavens. And he heard unspeakable words, things that he did not feel should even be mentioned. But he doesn't refer to that heavenly visit as a blessing. He waits until he talks about the thorn. He said, when I was brought back to reality, I couldn't make my boast in my heavenly visit because of my thorn in the flesh. And in essence, he said, I learned to glory in my thorn instead of my translation of sorts to heaven. Now I want us to learn some lessons about this. I, we all experience these sticky, prickly experiences in life where something's gouging us, something's irritating us, something's opposing us. We, we don't know what Paul's thorn was, and I'm not here to discuss it this morning. I have met several people that knew. But the Bible does not make it clear. Uh, the common perspective is that he was referring to his eyesight and uh, his problem with his vision. He did say on one occasion, see how large 
a letter I have written you. Apparently, his vision was restricted. Others think that it had to do with his physical appearance. He admitted that he appeared somewhat base or below average in his physical appearances. Some think it was his speech. He told the saints at Corinth, or Corinth, he said, My speech was contemptible among you. It seems that at times, Paul had difficulty saying what he wanted to say. Uh, Though he was very trained and very skilled. And so some say he had a restriction in his speech. There are a few texts that indicate that Paul may have had seizures. And uh, even in this setting, he talks about how weak he was. And some think, well, he must have had some form of epilepsy. And that was his form. You women will be merciful to me, won't you? But I would like to say... It wasn't his wife because he wasn't married. So all you women have mercy on me now. I needed to get a smile out of a couple of you anyhow. Uh, I may have just gotten a grunt, but at least it's a step in the right direction. I want to take Paul Storm and say several things this morning that I believe can be learned from the ministry of thorns. First of all, there is a lesson to be learned about pride. You'll notice twice in verse 7, not once, but twice, Paul said, lest I should be exalted above measure. That's at the beginning of the verse. Again, at the end of the verse, he said, This thorn was given me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, the Lord knows that we are easily exalted. We are easily uplifted. Many warnings in the Bible are given about pride. Even a proudful look, Solomon said, was an abomination unto God. And uh, especially in our day when everybody wants to show you they've made it. They, they, they did it. Uh, we need to be reminded that God does not want a proud people. And sometimes I believe He lets us have thorns. To keep us from being proud and haughty. You'll notice Paul looked at this gift uh, or this uh, thorn as a gift from God or a gift from heaven. He said in verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given... To me, a thorn in the flesh. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't think of my, my obstacles 
those things that aggravate me, I don't think of them as a gift. But Paul acknowledges that his thorn was given to him. A gift. Now, traveling like I have all these years, I've spoiled my children in bringing home little gifts to them. It's a guilt thing. I'm gone so much that I overreact to being gone. And uh, I remember when our older girls, when I would call, they would say, Dad, what have you got? And uh, I often thought, what would they do if I bought two collapsible leaf rakes, put them in my suitcase, and brought them home about uh, early November? And I, I, I said, oh, I've got something special for you girls. And then I opened my suitcase and give them these collapsible leaf rakes, one blue and one red, you know, they would have responded negatively. What is this? Well, that's what I'm giving. It's a gift. And it's a very needed one with the leaves all over the yard like they are at this time of year. And so, here's your gift. Oh, Daddy, they would say. That's how we respond sometimes to God's gifts. He gives us a thorn. It's going to be to our benefit and to His glory, but we find ourselves saying, Oh, man, why did this have to happen? Why did this have to come into my life? But it's a gift from God to keep us from being proud and then Paul not only looked at his thorn in relationship to pride as a gift from God or a gift from heaven, but he looked at it as a gig from Satan or from hell. He said, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And then he adds, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Now, the word buffet here carries with it the idea of to strike with clenched fists or it could indicate even to slap or to, to rap with the hand. And so Paul said this, this matter of pride is dealt with not only by God giving me a thorn, but Satan taking that thorn and slapping me around with it. Beating up on me. Of course you know this. The biggest opposition to something like a balloon. Is a sharp point. And the best way to get us deflated. It's for God to allow the devil to slap us around and put the thorn in our balloons. And then we come back to where we're supposed to be. It's 
Somebody said, I want y'all to pray for me. The devil's been slapping me around every way I turn. The devil's been beating up on me. Well, I want to pray for you. I think it's right for us to pray for one another. But have you ever thought God may be using that to deal with your pride? To keep you from being haughty. <laughs> My wife said to me on one occasion after we'd gone through a great trial in our lives, primarily in me, she said, what do you think God's doing for us? I said, I don't know, honey, but it sure does humble me. Sure does humble me. God knows how, doesn't he? And so there's a lesson on pride in the ministry of thorns. I don't know what your thorn may be, just like I don't know what Paul's thorn was. Brother Milton Taylor, one of my dear friends, I believe he ministered here earlier in the year, Brother Milton asked me one time, he said, Brother Tom, do you think my hearing may be my thorn? And uh, some of you have thought of different things perhaps already while I've been speaking this morning in this class. That, that It's there. You can't, you can't deny it. You can't get around it. And it's gouging you. The sharp point is in you. God uses it to deal with our pride. Lest we should be exalted above measure. And about the time, boy, you think you're going to fly away, God will get your b- balloon burst some way and you'll come back down. It's the ministry of thorns. And, and then look at verse 8. Paul not only gives us a lesson about our own pride, but he gives us a lesson about prayer. He said in verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. (laughs) Paul said, I tell you what my thorn did for me. It got me to praying. And you will admit, often we need an incentive to pray. My friend Dr. Victor Maxwell from Northern Ireland said in our Bible conference a couple of years ago, he said the most embarrassing part of our Christian lives is our prayer life. I I think he's right. It's embarrassing how little we pray. God, raise up some folks who will go beyond the norm and just give Him thanks for their food. But they'll pray. And in praying, they'll pray. Until they pray through. And it wasn't that Paul did not pray, but this thorn really was an incentive to cry out to God. Some of us here this morning have petitioned God on several occasions because of that issue in our lives, that thorn, that prickling, that thing that digs in us from time to time. Now, Paul prayed a twofold prayer, or should I say there are twofold 
a twofold lesson. Learn from his prayer. First of all, you'll notice his prayer was a prayer for removal. I think we can learn a lesson here. Paul said, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Oh Lord, take this out of my life. Oh Lord, please remove this. Oh Lord, somehow get this away from me. Paul prayed three particular, specific prayers. He said, I sought the Lord thrice about my thorn. I don't think it's wrong for us to ask the Lord to remove our thorn. But as we'll see in a moment, often God doesn't remove our thorns. I'm not saying Paul is quite in the position of Elijah. You know, Elijah prayed a prayer that would never be answered. When he was under the juniper tree, he prayed, Lord, take my life. I'm no better than anybody else, any of the other prophets. Take my life. That wasn't even close to God's plan for his life. He was going to be caught up alive in a chariot of fire into heaven. There he was praying to die. When God's plan was to take him to heaven alive. I've prayed some of those dumb prayers. I don't know that Paul's prayer was a dumb prayer. But God didn't answer it. At least in the way Paul wanted him to. Notice not only was it a prayer for removal. Lord, take away my thorn. But it was a prayer of repetition. Three times. It shows the desperation of his heart. Earnestly. With, with a deep emotion, Paul prayed three times. Lord, take it away. Please, Lord, save me from this. Deliver me from it. God didn't. But what I'm saying is it set Paul a praying. Yes, sir. It, if God can use a thorn to move us to prayer, then it must be good for us. If anything moves us toward God, <laughs> Brother Dukes and I we're talking about it this morning. Some questions had been asked him about the Bible. And my, I reminded him, there's hardly anybody asking about the Bible. We better appreciate God working in somebody in some way, whether we understand it or not, if they're at least concerned. And so Paul was moved to pray. I said, well, I sure wish I could get out from under this. I wish it quit gouging me. Yeah, but if ever now and then it causes you to cry out, Oh, God, help me. Help me, Lord. It's to your advantage. It's to your advantage. I, I would mention thirdly from verse 9, there's not only a lesson to be learned here about pride. God knows how to deflate our spiritual balloons. Uh, balloons, And then there's a lesson about prayer. God knows how to incite us to pray. 
to seek his face. But thirdly, there's a lesson about provisions. God's provisions. Really, there would never be any supplies given if there were no needs. Now, you don't have to agree with this. This is hazology. But personally, I think the greatest friends I have ever had are my needs before God. I would have never known His supplies if I had not had needs. How does that song go through it all, through it all? If I'd never had a problem, I'd never know that He could solve them. And so look at verse 9. And he said unto me, this is after Paul has prayed three times, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, and my, my strength is made perfect in weakness. I'm going to make a little comment. You can think about it. I'm going to go beyond this, but it seems to me that Paul said, Lord, take it away. Remove it. I want it to depart. I don't want to have to put up with it. I want you to change my situation, Lord. And the Lord seemed to say, Paul, I'm not going to change your situation, but I'm going to change you in the middle of your situation. Now, in years gone by, I didn't read it this way. You know, it's possible to have your own version of the Bible. But the Bible does not read here, my grace is sufficient for all your difficulties. It reads, my grace is sufficient for thee. God said, I'm not going to change your situation, your circumstances, but I'm going to do something for you. Oh, I love that. Now let's look at these provisions. First of all, Look at the provision of divine ability. My grace is sufficient for thee. The word grace is the word for favor. It's rendered liberality. It suggests the divine influence on the heart. And he said, it's sufficient. <laughs> It's enough. Often it has to do with uh, the content. For instance, we read in Luke 3 about wages that were enough. In 1 Timothy 6 and 8, we read about food and raiment. And then in Hebrews 13.5, he said, be content, there's that idea, be sufficient with such as you have. Contentment. Be content with your wages. Be content with your food and raiment. Be content with such as you have. It's enough. My grace is enough. 
Boy, I don't want to get too sidetracked. We don't have that much time in a Sunday school session. But I want to tell you, God's grace is more than enough. Yeah, but my Lord, you just don't know what I'm going through, Brother Paul. You don't know what I'm facing. You don't know what I'm what I'm experiencing. No, but His grace is bigger than your thorn. In fact, Charles Spurgeon suggested this little idea. He said, could a field mouse go out into Joseph's fields and here are acres and acres of corn that he's sitting back preparing for the famine and say, I wonder if there's enough corn out here for my dinner. Or could a little child go down to the ocean front and say, I wonder if there's enough water to fill up my bucket. Or look at all the sand and say, I wonder if there's enough sand for me to put in my shovel. That would be silly, wouldn't it? Well, this is silly too. I wonder what I'm going to do. I wonder what's going on. I don't know what's going on. His grace is more than enough. It's sufficient. And, and then he said, not only something about the ability, but the abundance. He said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. <laughs> I don't know about you, but there are times when I am an example of weakness. I know, I know you wouldn't have come to hear me if you thought that. But I at times am the epitome, the essence of weakness. Ah, uh, but his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Somebody said, what am I going to do? You better make room for grace. You better get ready for strength. And plenty of it. For Paul said, when I am weak, then am I strong. Now again, I know this, I'm, I'm, my emphasis is mysterious ministries. I know this is mysterious. I know it's hard for us to grasp. But when we are at our worst, when we are at our limitations, we go as far as we can go. That's the best place for us to be. For the Lord can pour in His sufficiency. He can pour in His fullness. My grace is sufficient for thee. For thee. Don't forget He's working on you. He's working on me. There's a fourth lesson in verses 9 and 10. Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Notice that emphasis, Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities. In verse 10 he says, Therefore I take pleasure in. <laughs> now first, 
let, let me give the emphasis. We not only have a lesson about pride in verse 7 and a lesson about prayer in verse 8 and a lesson about provisions in verse 9, but now in the last of verse 9 and in the first of verse 10, we have a lesson about praise. I don't know where we got the silly idea that the only time we're to praise God when everything's going well. You remember the children of Israel didn't shout after the walls fell. They shouted before the walls fell in order for the walls to fall. Somebody said, but you don't know what I'm up against, Tom. You don't know what I'm facing. Well, why don't you shout at it? Why don't you praise God anyhow? I love that story about Dr. Lester Roloff. A friend of mine went to hear him preach in Fort Worth. And uh, one of his enemies, unbeknown to him, was to preach first. And he took his entire time preaching on why it was wrong to say praise the Lord anyhow. Well, everybody knew that was Brother Lester's words. Praise the Lord anyhow, you'd say. This fellow, boy, he lowered the boom on it. Brother Lester sitting there. Then Brother Roloff came up to preach. Everybody wondered what he would say. And he looked at the crowd and he said, Well, praise the Lord somehow. <laughs> I think that's pretty good. May God somehow... Help us to respond with praise. Yeah, but I'm hurting. Uh, You don't know what I... Oh, I tell you, God's going to pour in such grace and strength. Why don't you just go ahead and glory in your infirmity? Praise God for it. And then Paul not only mentioned the response, but he gave the reasons. Actually, there are five of them here. I'll not deal with them in detail. But he said in verse 10, Therefore I take pleasure in number one, infirmities. This has to do with weaknesses. In areas where we have want of strength. In reproaches. This has to do in areas where we've been injured. Where we have experienced outrage. Thirdly, he said, in necessities. The word indicates pain or pressure. Any of you been under pressure lately? Really, you know that's the word for our society is pressure or stress. You go to the doctor, bless his heart. He's even been trained to ask you. You can go with an ingrown toenail and his first words are, Have you been under a lot of pressure lately? Have you been under a lot of stress? Well, who hasn't? necessities. Then he gave a fourth one. He said, I'm going to take pleasure in persecutions. This is the idea of being driven away, being put to flight. And then he used the word distresses, in distresses for number five. Uh, Maybe a modern day synonym would be anguish. The idea is almost to be in a a narrow place. 
So Paul mentions these five reasons we need to praise God. (laughs) Praise Him for our weaknesses. Praise Him for our injuries. Praise Him for our pressures. Praise Him that we've been driven away. Praise Him because we've been put in a straight place, a narrow place. We've experienced some anguish. Somebody said, well, I just want to praise the Lord for His blessings. Well, we want to praise Him for His blessings, but what about the thorns? A lesson about praise. Boy, Paul is taking us to another level, isn't he? Of course, I just mentioned briefly verses 9 and 10. Paul said, I want the power of Christ to rest upon me. I want to be strong in my weakness. The idea seems to be I want Christ to be real in my life. I want Christ to be represented in my life. The phrase, the power of Christ may rest upon me. That word rest is the, is the picture of a tent spread over those who are inside it. Paul said, I want the power of Christ to cover me like a tent. I want to represent Christ. Really, this thing of thorns, God gives us thorns to make us more like Christ. (laughs) His life was crowned with thorns. God wants to make us more like Christ. Now, forgive me, I'm going to revert to my childhood for my final illustration. You remember the story about Br'er Fox and Br'er Rabbit? They they, they had a distaste for each other. And Br'er Fox had been so insulted and so sassed by Br'er Rabbit He finally came up with a plan called Tar Baby. Tar Baby said nothing when Br'er Rabbit came up and spoke to it in the middle of the road. She didn't respond. He finally said, I'm going to hit you. And his first paw stuck to Tar Baby. He tried the second. It stuck. He said, I'm going to kick the stuffing out of you. And his foot stuck, and his other foot stuck, all four. Finally, he said, I'll headbutt you. And his head stuck. What a mess Br'er Rabbit was in. And Br'er Fox came walking up and said, Oh, what a terrible condition you find yourself in. I'm tired of you sassing me. You sassed me now for the last time. I've got you, Br'er Rabbit. And Br'er Rabbit said, Br'er Fox, whatever you do, please don't throw me in the briar patch. And the conversation went through the roasting process. The fox said, I, I ought to roast you. He said, well, roast me if you will, but please don't throw me in the briar patch, Br'er Fox. He said, well, what I ought to do is, is drown you. He said, well, drown me. Plunge me deep. 
into the water, but please, whatever you do, don't throw me in the briar patch. Well, what I ought to do is hang you. If I had a rope, I'd hang you. He said, well, hang me. Hang me high. But please don't throw me in that briar patch. He said, the briar patch, huh? So he said, he, the story was he flung him head over heels into the briar patch. There was a big crash and then a period of silence. And then Br'er Fox heard Br'er Rabbit calling his name up on top of the hill. He was sitting on a log combing the tar out of his fur with a wood chip. And he cried down to Br'er Fox, I was bred and born in the blood patch, Br'er Fox. Bred and born in the briar patch. Ah, listen. Don't let that thorn put you out of circulation. That's God's world for His people to operate in. We might say in a way we've been bred and born in the briar patch. And there we'll find our liberty and our freedom from all thorns. The ministry of thorns. You've been so kind. May we pray.